Welcome. This podcast focuses on connecting to the history that is all around us in our own communities and the stories that shape who we are. For our sixth episode, the topic will be Mount Zion Baptist Church in Athens, Ohio, and its role as a center for the black community not only in Athens County, but beyond our borders, throughout all of Southeast Ohio for the last 150 years. We'll also look at the work being done today to ensure that it continues to do that well into the future. I'm Brian Costco, and this is Invisible Ground. Invisible Ground would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of Kaskaskia, Osage, Shawnee, Adena, and Hopewell peoples. You can find this show wherever you find your favorite podcasts already, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. If you enjoy Invisible Ground, please help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. It really does make a difference. And you can find previous episodes and more information at findinvisibleground.com. If you'd like to be a sponsor or you have an idea you'd like to share with me, email me, findinvisibleground at gmail.com. You can support the show and all of the work we do on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash invisibleground. This episode is sponsored by Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to restoring the Mount Zion Baptist Church into a vibrant community center. The center will offer educational, cultural, and creative programming to support the black community and other marginalized peoples of Southeast Ohio. Through fundraising efforts and community engagement, Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society is actively working to rehabilitate this historic building. Visit www.mountzionathens.org to find out more and to make a donation. Be sure to check out the new Invisible Ground Immersive Historic Marker at Mount Zion, 32 West Carpenter Street in Athens. The Invisible Ground app will have Mount Zion as an option, and then there'll be three historic photos to see at that site. One that you'll be able to see from the grass on Congress Street, just on the same side there as Mount Zion. Another across the street diagonally on the corner of Congress and Carpenter and one that's across from Mount Zion on Carpenter Street. The marker will be up there as well. And at the Berry Hotel, well, across the street from where the Berry Hotel was at 15 North Court Street, also in Uptown Athens. Thank you as always to the Southeast Ohio History Center for their continued support of this project. You can visit AthensHistory.org to find out more about what they do. Special thanks again to everyone who's contributed to Invisible Ground in any way so far. You can see a whole list of sponsors and supporters on our website. And now, a bit of context to start off our Mount Zion Baptist Church episode. Like so many things we talk about on Invisible Ground, the story of Mount Zion involves many important people, places, and things, and it'd be impossible to include them all in one episode. But I think in order to give you an overall viewpoint and to introduce you to some of the different voices that you'll hear throughout this story, the best place to start is with the context of why this place is such an important historical center 
not only to the black community, but to all of Athens, Athens County, and even further across Southeast Ohio. Much like the Albany Enterprise Academy or the Berry Hotel, the people who came through Mount Zion and its storied walls would go on to do amazing and fantastic things. And the building and the congregation would become an important part of the community. There's one difference between Mount Zion and those places though. It's still here. The physical space remains. And that's important. Let's start this episode with the beginning clip from the fantastic Black Wall Street Athens County documentary created by Mount Zion and Bent Street Films. We'll hear more of this later on as well. Thanks to Yafet and Nicole Jackman for both their work on this project and for allowing me to use some clips for this show. It is much appreciated. Go check out their fantastic work on Instagram at Bent Street Films. So let's start off here with a voice you've heard before on this show. Here's Dr. T. Ford Ahmed from the beginning of that documentary, Black Wall Street, Athens County. She begins talking as the film shows images of historic markers to black history flashing on the screen one after another. Images like these have replaced the tangible history of black American architecture, erased successful black entrepreneurial pursuits, compromised black educational institutions, and have even displaced black grave sites all across America. They represent a type of cultural devastation that has occurred under the guise of many names. Redevelopment, urban renewal, model cities, and the newest one, gentrification. We have even seen this reveal itself in violent pangs of jealousy, rage, and injustices, especially in places like Tulsa, Oklahoma. This sort of cultural theft has its quiet clutches on black communities across America and has stripped them of their history, even in more remote places like Athens County, seated in Southeast Ohio in the Ohio River Valley. To understand the integral history of black Americans in Athens County, one must first take a step back and look at the whole of the Ohio River Valley. These black communities are a network connected across Southeast Ohio and points further. And Athens, and especially its West Side neighborhood centered on Dean Street, now Washington Street, had a growing black population of its own. This was a region connected even further by its deep roots as an important series of stops in the Underground Railroad. Albany, just down the road from Athens, is an area of many Underground Railroad stations. It was also becoming a blossoming center of education, and one that welcomed black students at places like the Albany Enterprise Academy. The same academy that was connected to important people like Edward and Martha Jane Berry, who attended and then opened the Berry Ice Cream Shop and later the famed Berry Hotel on Court Street in Athens. Mount Zion is central to the black community, and according to the history page on the Mount Zion website, by 1872, a small group of Athens residents began attending religious services in the home of Joseph and Henrietta Miller. And that is the beginning of Mount Zion. 150 years ago this year, this congregation begins. It's the first of the three dates on the Mount Zion cornerstone. The second, 1876, is when services begin to be held in a wood-framed one-room church on Lancaster Street, just across from the current location of Athens Middle School. 
an Athens Messenger article from 1895, also on the Mount Zion website, tells of the Reverend J.L. Murray, pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church, administering the rites of baptism in the Hocking River. It's found in the Baptist Church Notes section, and all are invited to attend. They needed more space for their growing congregation, and they found some help in that tight-knit community of Athens. We welcome back a familiar voice to this show and president of the Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society Board, Ada Woodson Adams. Mr. Berry said, I have this land, I'll give you the front. Well, actually he sold it for a small fee and you can build a church on this land and then I'll use the back to build my home. And if you've seen the church, there's another building going east that was the church parsonage at the time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's rental property now. So Mr. and Mrs. Berry owned the land. And at the time, in the 1890s, 1900s, when they got, bought the land, that was wilderness. Okay. That, that was out in the country. And so they, they were able to... You wonder how a black man was able to get prime location. Well, it wasn't prime location. <laughs> at one time, there was, a, there was a great big hill behind the armory that they used for clay for the brick factory. And so you can see how that was just like mining country. They said, whenever we needed money, we called on Mr. Berry. So we knew that he was called on a lot. So he, he and um, Mrs. Berry gave to the church, church causes. Uh, he was a deacon in the church. In 1905, the groundbreaking takes place at the corner of Congress and Carpenter Streets in Athens, Ohio. From an Athens Messenger article of that event on September 21st, 1905, quote, The church is to be constructed of cement block and trimmed with blue freestone. It'll be modern in its appointment, having a tower, main auditorium, lecture room, pastor's study, choir room, and baptistry over a basement of 57 by 46 feet. The article goes on to mention that the total cost it's estimated to be around $6,000. The architects are Anderson and Anderson, along with W.R. Wilson, who is helping them on the project. By 1906, services had started for Mount Zion in the basement of the new church as the rest of it was being constructed. It was officially dedicated on September 26, 1909, just after its completion and at a cost of $10,500. The article that day mentions not only in its photo caption about all this information, but also that, quote, an insignificant indebtedness remains. No special effort will be made at the dedication to lift the indebtedness. Heads up from the paper there that they're not going to shake you down. It was an important religious site, but it's also so much more than that. Community, family, pride, history, perseverance, a space that was theirs, and one that many families would attend for generations. My name is Elizabeth Williams. I'm better known by my family and friends as Libby. I do serve on the Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society. Mount Zion was my family's church probably. Well, my family in Athens is three or four generations, if not more, on both sides, maternal and paternal. I was born in Athens at Sheltering Arms. My parents 
both attended Mount Zion as children. They were married in Mount Zion. I was blessed at Mount Zion. Uh, one of my earlier memories of Mount Zion, I remember it just as a toddler going there, but my parents put me in piano lessons at five. They wasted their money for 12 years. I am not musically inclined at all. But we would come down regularly to church. We moved, my parents moved to Columbus when I was about three. And we would come down regularly to church every month, maybe one or two times a month. And I was in music lessons and we got to church. My father went to talk, either pastor or the herp or somebody. And then it was announced, Libby is going to play her first piano <laughs> song, which is Lullaby in Dollland. You know, uh, yeah, I did, but you know, I was, you know, it's a little one-handed thing. <laughs> so that was my first public recital. This beautiful building with its huge, colorful, and now legendary stained glass windows is a room that history and love pour out of and into. Tin ceilings, curved oak pews, and gorgeous original architectural features like doors and stained glass transoms still remain. Because you're a kid, but you have to stay still, just staring at the, the stained glass windows. I always thought they were beautiful, just staring at them. And when sit to, if you came into the church facing uh, the altar, I always tend to sit to the left. So I was always staring at, you know, the one with the woman, you know, on the rock, uh, praising. So, yeah, the, the um, stained glass has been a real big part of my life. And then Aunt Mary, who was beloved in her time, was always the president of the Women's Missionary Society. So I remember being a kid and at least once a month taking a cab up to the church for the Women's Missionary Society. We always came down for homecoming, which is in October. And it's interesting because I'm not in any of the homecoming pictures. I'm in one, I can't find out where that picture is. Uh, but usually my brother and I would slip out and, and go back to Amory's house. We had enough church by that time. Those homecoming celebrations brought back so many that called Mount Zion home from places around the state and country. It was a space and a family that meant so much, not just to those in Athens County who grew up with it, but also to the black students who would attend Ohio University. Those students would find a deep sense of community, love, and worship at Mount Zion Baptist Church. People like the next voice you're going to hear. Well, professionally, I'm Reverend Dr. Jack Sullivan, Jr. And I am the executive director of the Ohio Council of Churches, a 103-year-old organization in Ohio that brings together 17 different Christian church denominations that have national or global presence, but an office in Ohio. We bring them together as a movement for unity, justice, and peace. And uh, you may call me Jack. During the... Um, summer of 1977, my mother and I went down to Athens, Ohio for my uh, first year student orientation session. 
at Ohio University. And uh, while having lunch, uh, we were approached by Dr. Francine C. Childs, who was at that time professor of Afro-American studies and uh, the architect, uh, the builder, the advisor of the Gospel Voices of Faith Gospel Choir that sang every Sunday during the school year at Mount Zion Baptist Church. She first assured my mother that I would be in good hands in Athens, that she would look after me as she had done uh, for several African-American students. And then she asked me if I sang. And uh, just so happened that I had been singing all of my life. <laughs> and uh, I said yes. And then she invited me to become a member of the Gospel Voices of Faith that we called affectionately GVF. So when I came back down a few weeks later to begin the school year, I made my way to choir rehearsal at Mount Zion Baptist Church in its sanctuary and then sang the very next Sunday with the choir, with GVF, uh, at Mount Zion. And so that was September of 1977. Very quickly I learned how sacred that church was and uh, uh, to its membership that there were local folks in Athens and the folks like me who came from Cleveland and other places around Ohio and certainly beyond who began to form a community of worshipers and support there at Mount Zion. Mount Zion functioned as a vital educational hub for members of the black community. Bible classes and choir rehearsal provided spaces free of cultural prejudice and racial discrimination where black congregants could develop, hone, and expand their thought, speech, and voice. Despite its fluctuating membership, Mount Zion nurtured an environment of black world-making and identity formation that continues to inspire and propel hope. Dr. Francine Childs, who brought Jack Sullivan Jr. into GVF, reinvigorated the interest in the church throughout the 70s and 80s, and the congregation grew and again helped to repair this historic sacred space. Our very talented friend Liz Paul made a great documentary film a few years back called Legacy, Women of Southeast Ohio, which featured Dr. Childs along with Ada Woodson Adams, Carol Cure, and Dr. Drew Riley Everts. Liz made this film with Andy Walla, Delia Palmasano, and Melissa Salpietra. This film can be viewed at lizpaul.com, and she was kind enough to let us use a bit of her interview with Dr. Childs for this Invisible Ground episode. I think it's the perfect piece. Thank you, Liz and Dr. Childs. But she said, Doc, at the end of every class, you had to sing. Each one reach one. Each one teach one. Each one change one. Each one love one. Go out and be the change that you wish to see. I'd send them out of my class like that. I uh, was part of the spring break tour uh, that GVF uh, uh, was part of, and uh, Dr. Childs arranged our itinerary, arranged our housing. She contracted with bus companies. She made sure we had food. And our job as students was to raise money as best we could to uh, help pay for uh, the tour. And uh, some of us did this job better than others. <laughs> But uh, we always had enough money for the bus and for food and for shelter. 
We would go to St. Louis, Missouri, Dallas, Texas, Langston, Oklahoma, Providence, Rhode Island, Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> oh, yeah, essentially all over. We, we sang all over. And for many of us, it was our first time leaving Ohio. Mount Zion is a place that is important for what it did, but also simply for what it represented. Like many cultural institutions, Mount Zion has a huge impact on the lives of the people who pass through its doors. As a student, I didn't pick up on the nuances all the time about what a sacred space that was and how um, bold and caring the congregation was. Because it didn't dawn on me until after I had left that the membership, though few in number, were among the most courageous people I would ever know because they were black people who lived in Athens County. And sometimes uh, this, this congregation, these people embraced fairness and, uh, and, and respect, but a lot of times they were not afforded respect and, and, uh, and kindness. A lot of times they had hostilities to deal with. And so uh, uh, these people maintained their character and their dignity and their sense of honor. And uh, even for students like me who came from other places, uh, this congregation uh, was known for giving us hospitality. Uh, they would cook dinners for us on occasion and welcome us into their lives. And so Mount Zion was more than a place for just DVF to sing on a weekly basis. It was a place for us to know uh, a historic, a bold, a visionary community of, of African-Americans uh, who maintain their sense of dignity and worth amid a climate that wasn't always uh, hospitable uh, to them. Back after graduation uh, and sit in those pews, you know, all at once it hit me just how blessed, uh, how fortunate I was to have been a worshiper and a congregant at Mount Zion and to have known some of the people who had been there, who were there every month of the year. Whether we students were there or not, they were there. And to have interacted with those people and received their love and their hospitality and to know that they must have seen so much of themselves in us and they must have uh, projected futures, strong futures for all of us as they looked at us. To know all of that as I sat there and as I went back, even now, it just makes me uh, feel chills of appreciation. Uh, and it lets me know, and I think all of us who were there, let's all of us know that we have to do the very same thing now for younger generations that, are, that we are aware of now and those to come to make similar investments in their lives uh, with an eye on their future, knowing that as much as we stood on the shoulders of folks like the members of Mount Zion and Dr. Childs and so many others, we have to provide strong shoulders for the future generations to stand on for their own contributions to be made to this world. I've never worked so hard. The, the 70, and I often say the 70 or 80 hours I spent in academe pales to uh, 
to the amount of time that I've been spending <laughs> with Mount Zion in terms of just getting the stories out, trying to uh, get the, the funding that is needed to bring it back to its uh, magnificence. Right now it's been vacant now um, for maybe about 20 years, so it's, it's deteriorated uh, 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 somewhat inside. And, but the magnificence of the inside, and from what I hear from those that attended, and I, and I did too for a while while I was here uh, working on my PhD. As a matter of fact, my daughter sang with uh, the Gospel Voices of Faith. Uh, I've also heard people say that they would, this church does not, it, I, I think it can maybe accommodate up to two to three hundred people. But at the time of the choir's uh, existence, there were so many people that wanted to just hear that they would just drive their car and park on the, on the corner, I've heard, and sit outside so that they could hear the, the choir sing. Um, and I told you about how beautiful it is inside. The windows, I'm not even sure how or where they even came about those magnificent windows. That rose window and some of the others that are in there are, are priceless, without a doubt. In 1980, the building was added to the National Register of Historic Places and acknowledged as the historical, social, and cultural landmark that it is. It continued to serve as the key gathering place for that black community of Athens, Southeast Ohio, and the Ohio River Valley until the early 2000s. Over the years, the congregation had declined, often due to the discrimination practices in the area that would drive young people away to find work in other places. What had previously served as a social and spiritual beacon of light had deteriorated into a building no longer fit to serve the needs of a now dwindled black community. But in recent years, the Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society had formed a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to restoring Mount Zion into a black cultural center. Once again, a beacon of light situated at the north end of the city of Athens. The Preservation Society would serve as a culture barrier with service and community-based social, cultural, and artistic space for those now lacking that space in town. Most importantly though, a sanctuary of joy and healing that will advance equity, sustainability, and justice, not only for those who continue to be marginalized, but for surrounding central Appalachian communities along this corridor of the Underground Railroad. I think the best way to finish our story is to talk about that, that bright and exciting future, when Mount Zion can again be a physical space that supports the black community in Athens and beyond, while continuing to preserve its own history. What do the people close to Mount Zion think? What do they want this space to be in the future? Let's finish up this episode by hearing as we try to do often on Invisible Ground, from the voices of the people who are directly connected to the story. We'll start with Dr. Vibert Cambridge, Professor Emeritus in the School of Media Arts and Studies at Ohio University. He's also a member of the Board of Directors at Mount Zion and Chair of the Society's History and Research Committee. If one were to look at black experience or the national experience, there are going to be peaks and valleys there are going to be times when you become, appear to be irrelevant. Um, 
So Mount, Mount Zion has gone through its peaks and valleys. You know, the current wooden, uh, the current stone structure is not the first structure. You know, we've had wooden structures. The fact that we're in stone represents, you know, a, a kind of commitment to stability and, 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 and water. So you had these patterns. And in my lifetime, I've seen Mount Zion rise and fall and small group dynamics, you know, how folks get on, you know, folks migrate, folks get older. Um, so Mount Zion has gone through that. Where it is now, it has not died. Mount Zion has not died. The spirit of Mount Zion never died. The ethos of Mount Zion never died. But what is happening in Mount Zion, it remains a space that pulls together traditions of agency and traditions of solidarity. My ancestors came here with the thought of improving their lives to make it better for their children and their children's children. And they were very religious people and they wanted a temple to God where they could go and worship. And Mount Zion is that place. It's a place that they sacrificed everything. They didn't have good paying jobs. If they had a penny to give to the church, they gave it. If all they had to give was their labor, they gave it. They gave what they could to build this edifice, this monument to their people and their people's people and to have it there for future generations. It did for a while go into disrepair for many reasons. Now there's a group of people, black and white, who has the mission of saving an historic site because it's just one little piece of America's history that needs to be kept and told in a place where black people can once again go and feel the comfort of being in their own culture, in their own space. And that's something that Athens doesn't have right now. This is why it's very important to save Mount Zion, to give the next generation an opportunity to feel and know the history of the past and what was sacrificed for them to be where they are today. And so to know that this, this congregation's life uh, will go on forever. It may not be a worshiping congregation any longer, but the ministry continues in that space through those doors. It means a lot to be a part of an effort to restore that structure. And uh, buildings are not churches. I know that buildings are where churches meet, but buildings do have significance. They help tell the story of a people. It's going to be a beacon as a, a recognize that Black people were here. Black people came together as a community, built this wonderful building, and it still should be open. And it should give the history and the pride and the hard work that they had to come together to do, you know, through all the obstacles. That is just a wonderful building. You see a trend that true history does not want to be taught in the United States. I'm not sure that it'll go anyplace, but just the fact that it has come about, you know, where people can walk down the street and wonder what that is, how that came to be, who are those people? There's a, a woman who I call my aunt, who wasn't even blood relation from Athens, and her family came to Athens on the Underground Railroad. You know, just interesting stories like that. So many wonderful people came out of that particular institution, you know, uh, of religion as, as it would be. And why we're trying to preserve it uh, and keep it alive as a, a sense of pride 
And once you're inside and see the beauty of it, that too will astound you because it is a, just an incredibly gorgeous facility inside. So yes, it should be restored. It, and it was built by formerly enslaved people, some indigenous people. I know that white folks from the community also helped contribute uh, to, to it. So it's a, uh, for me, it's a monument that's worth uh, saving for the history itself and the glory of, of the people that that live here. It's been a community project and I want people to understand we're trying to create a black cultural space but it's not just for black people. It's like anything else that you have. If you have a Greek cultural center, anybody's welcome. If you have a Catholic cultural center, anybody's welcome. It's a, something that's going to be focused on the black culture so we can tell our story, the past, the present, and the future. Our climate nowadays is uh, so volatile, and if not just violent uh, in many respects. Everybody needs a, a, a place for sheltering, uh, a place to be their, their, their true selves, and to be honored and, and received and respected and invested in. And that's what Mount Zion uh, did for so many. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future of Mount Zion offering the, the, that kind of support to people. And, uh, and I hope that during these times, uh, folks in Athens, black folks, and anybody looking for uh, a place to be affirmed as for who they are and value, will find Mount Zion to be that place. And uh, so I'm honored to help contribute to that, to be the reality uh, going forward. Venerable national institutions like the National Endowment for the Arts, the state, private foundations, and now being prepared to move forward to work. The Smithsonian, to work on the, its revitalization as the Mount Zion Black Cultural Center, I think that is, uh, that is dynamic. It, 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 it speaks to commitment, it speaks to that spirit of agency, it, it, it speaks to giving a new dimension to the Ohio River Valley, in that we are saying that as an institution that emerged out of this experience, we are taking onto ourselves this responsibility to be the custodians of the memory of black people in the Ohio River Valley. That is a humongous task. Mount Zion is home. It's a sign of strength, a sign of pride, a sign that says we're not invisible. We're a part of this community and you can't hide us. I mean, this is a beautiful church. This is one of the most beautiful churches in Athens at the time. What loss would this church be to the Athens community? A whole historical perspective of the community would be lost, which is the black community, how people came together, how black people came together to build this church. Mount Zion is always looking for volunteers, supporters, donors, and champions. Please visit mountzionathens.org and make a contribution. Thank you to everyone who contributed to this episode, especially Ada Woodson-Adams, Dr. T. Ford Ahmed, Libby Williams, the Reverend Dr. Jack Sullivan Jr., Dr. Vibert Cambridge, and Dr. Francine Childs. Special thanks again to Yafet and Nicole Jackman of Bench Street Films, 
who made the wonderful Black Wall Street Athens County documentary for Mount Zion and allowed me to use some audio from that. You can see their work on Instagram at Bent Street Films. And also thanks to Liz Paul for providing some audio from her film Legacy Women of Southeast Ohio. You can see that at LizPaul.com. And she has a fantastic new podcast called Heart of It All through WEB Public Medium that, you know, you can find wherever you find such things. Thanks to Todd Jacobs for some audio editing as well. I hear so many other podcasts that name so many people here at the end of the episode. It's just been me for the last five episodes. So I'm super excited to at least list Todd here for helping out. Thanks. Music in this episode comes from Daniel Bachman, The Gospel Voices of Faith, Pete Fosco, Matthew J. Rollin, Dead Winds of Summer, Weed Ghost, The Peel, David Cole Giovanni, and Todd Jacobs, who does our theme. Thanks as always to the Southeast Ohio History Center, Ohio Humanities, Ohio History Connection, Klein Penny Educational Fund, the Rivada Foundation, City of Athens, Athens County Convention and Visitors Bureau, Winding Road, Ohio, and all of our donors, Patreon supporters, and everyone out there who's helping to make Invisible Ground both the podcast and the immersive historic markers happen. You can support what we do too on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash invisible ground or reach out to us to find out more. Again, go check out the new immersive historic marker at Mount Zion and the old one that's been up right across the, from the former location of the Berry Hotel, both in Uptown Athens, Ohio. You can download the Invisible Ground app for Apple or Android and see history right there in your camera. If you want to support this show or you have an idea for something we should cover, send us an email at findinvisibleground at gmail.com. Next up is an episode that will feature a collection of Athens Black History stories created by 8th grade students at Athens Middle School as part of a project we're doing at Tantrum Theater at Ohio University. Tantrum has an exciting new play coming out that uh, obviously we're interested in called The Hotel Barry. More on all of this soon, but check back for that episode in a little bit. It'll come out in November. Thanks and see you next time.